Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Doing Design Podcast on This Is Hate CD, hosted by all the world's best live design and innovation trainers from thisisdoing.com. In this podcast, we'll speak about all the behind-the-scenes things related to actually doing innovation and design within organizations. So we'll cover topics that include design research, service design, user experience design, content design, product management, and much, much more. Now, in this episode, you'll hear from myself, Jerry Scullion. I'm a service designer first and foremost, but also the founder of This Is Hate City and CEO of ThisIsDoing.com. And joining me is Sarah Richards, the originator of the term content design, founder of Content Design London, and author of the book Content Design. And we're working on a course together that looks at the role of content design within services. And you'll hear us dive deep into the topic and where the shared value exists for both disciplines. Let's jump into the episode right now. Sarah Richards, welcome to the first episode of the Doing Podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've got Uh a bit of a cold. Are you at home? (laughs) Like everybody is. Yeah, like everyone. I'm I'm in I'm in what is charmingly termed a garden office. What it actually is is an oversized shed with double glazing and like a gazebo. But you know, I will go with the garden office. Yeah, a garden office is nice, so it's good. We're both part of This Is Doing, which is the new kind of business that I launched earlier this year. And we're going to chat today around the role of content design and service design and everything in between, pretty much. Mm -hmm. It's how we actually connected all those years ago in London when we met and we did another episode on This Is HCD about content design and why that beep it's so important in the delivery of services i think i called it and i read your book i remember reading the book back in the day i think i had a book i definitely had bought it on my way home from australia and i was like actually i'm looking forward to meeting sarah richards because we've got a lot of stuff to to catch up on who knew two years three years later we'd be sitting here working together so it's exciting sarah i want to ask you a few questions and this is like we're joint hosts in this in this podcast talking about content design and service design do you think content design has been ignored in the design process? Yes, yes, yes. That's such a... <laughs> the thing that we have is that loads of times we get a, a content management system that's delivered to us and you get a whole load of templates that don't fit anything and don't fit the content at all. And then people mm. go, there you go, populate that. And when it looks a bit crap, it's like, oh, the content's crap. It's like, no. What do you mean by content, though? 
Oh, yeah. See, that could be anything, right? It could be tools, calculators, calendars, videos. It could be an interpreter, a sign language interpreter who spins up at the bottom of the page when you ask for that kind of help. Content is anything that's really not code or design. And it bumps into mm. the design, right? Because you can have a beautiful interaction. You can have a beautiful journey. But if there's no content, words or uh, video or anything, how are people supposed to use it? If you don't have content, you don't really have a service. No. You've got a beautifully designed shell. That's what you've yeah. got. But the, the other problem is that everybody thinks anybody with GCSE English can write. And I'm living proof that that's not true. <laughs> is that right? If anyone watches my tweets every now and then, there's I'm a very apostrophe and comma friendly uh, <laughs> as, as a writer. I'm like, hmm, it, sounds, it looks like I probably should use one of them now. <laughs> Just so, excessive punctuation. Yeah, and like to be honest, I'm probably a really good example of how and why it's been ignored. Like, I, I practiced u- user experience before I made the the leap into service design a number of years ago. And in my wireframes, I would never use Laura Mipsum. High five, everyone! But when I was writing the words to to give a flavor of kind of the intent of what I was going for, I would often see that that stuff would end up in actual web pages. And it just was like, oh yeah, well, good enough. We'll we'll just keep going, like you know. And I'd always feel quite embarrassed because, as I said, I'm comma heavy and apostrophe heavy, and no one had really copy, you know, checked it or any of that kind of stuff, and it just automatically just bled into the service. How is content design as a discipline working to make sure that that doesn't happen? Let me step back a bit. I want to ask you a question. Right. So there is a thing about content is not a mystical kind of skill that only four people on the planet can do that's not it but there is this kind of scale about whether you practice it and and how much time you put into it and whether you get better with it but my question to you is kind of like designers and service designers and product people and uxs in general how do you feel about them writing because sometimes in organizations you've only got one person yeah it's like an evolution i remember we had the first instance was probably 2014. I might have been around that era. And we had somebody from a, a part of the business who was an instructional designer. And they came in and quickly saw that they didn't understand how they could work within design. It was very like a technical writer role. And they started just taking it. We're like, no, no, no. There was no collaboration. It was very much like, this is the content. This is the way it is. So I had a negative experience at the start. And it didn't feel good. But then I had a good experience, maybe about a year or two later that we had somebody who had a really rich background in probably wasn't being called UX writing at the time, but he'd worked in copywriting, but he was definitely more open to collaborating with testing what words helped improve comprehension. And I had a really good experience and I was very, very happy to pass all the that kind of stuff over to them and allow me to focus on where I actually wanted to play um, and where I was actually being paid to play as well. So after that, it was kind of like your first taste of Guinness. Actually, that's probably a bad one because not everyone likes Guinness, but for me, the first taste of Guinness for me was just like, I could hear like cherubs in, in the distance <laughs> screaming and shooting arrows into my head. I love Guinness. but um, <laughs> Yeah, really? <laughs> Yeah, in case you, you didn't figure that out, but I, I, I really found it. It was just, it made sense. Too often, I, I would get caught up, as I said, having to write that content. And then 
I, I, it was just too much. I was spread too thinly across the entire process. I haven't been responsible for the words and the comprehension as well as like at the Zoom level, like I was 0.1 and the lowest I, as a service designer, I, I like to go one and moving all the way out to like five or whatever. I, I just didn't want to sit down that low. And it was great to have somebody who's actually really supporting and working in the same kind of trajectory as we were all moving in. And from that date, I was just like, I think that's when I found content design. The book was probably 2016. When did you write it? Yeah, was it 2016? Yeah, it was. Somewhere around that. I remember reading it on a ferry in Sydney anyway. I do remember that. And I was like, ooh, a funny story with that book, everyone. I remember reading it kind of going, God, it's kind of an unusual shape. (laughs) And then about a year later, I, I met Sarah in London. And, you know, we had coffee beforehand and I said, hey, listen, I brought the book, bit of a fanboy here, but would you mind signing the book? And you saw the book and you went, beep, the hell is that? And I go, that's the book I bought on Amazon. And you're like, I've never seen that. It was like it'd been created in some sweatshop, but yeah. I don't think it was from Sarah. It was a really poorly cut and kind of published book, but incidentally, that book. at least it will be the right shape and the right yeah. size. Well, you- you posted me another one. Some someone actually stole that one, so it's it's going to be worth thousands in the future. It's signed by <laughs> thousands of yen, of course. It, it's going to be stolen, and it'll be the one of a kind. <laughs> well, I hope it's one of a kind. I hope nobody yeah. else got that. Yes, yeah, so going back to my point, I've I've had a really positive experience, and I've had a couple of instances since then. I haven't been working in teams for a number of years. I've been primarily teaching and doing podcasts and all that kind of stuff that that people kind of know that I do and whenever i've experienced them it seems like the discipline is growing and it's becoming more mature and businesses are starting to realize that there is there is huge value in having someone own that space yeah i think so i think it's changed and i mean this is where it kind of came from in that content people are usually like i was saying given these containers shove some words in there that's what you can do they don't realize Mm. the level of skill that loads of content people already have or they go on training courses and they practice and they learn and they do all these things and and they have so much more than just editing. I think like we were Mm. really stymied by those words like writing, editing. (coughs) And so people expect that's all you can do. And it's never been like that. I just don't recognize really how, where content people should be in the journey, the way that they can influence it, the way they can make or break it really and actually how organizations can make and break it by not having somebody who's very skilled and being able to give that time and effort to it yeah saying about it being like a small part of the job you get to focus on the bit that you love i remember even before that i was working for a medical company and i was actually in-house i'd I'd gone in-house after going in to consult and i wanted to create a video for this new system it was like a a sort of a trilogy of interactions between manufacturers and patients and uh the the supporting service and marketing typically had created assets they were like we're in charge of video and i'm like uh not that kind of video and they were like you know you can buy this here and get this here and like you know sign up today to get extra function i'm like that's not what i want i want stuff to help people being able to use this and also just instructional kind of videos so i went rogue i went dark i went like tom cruise mission impossible and i started sitting back in one of those director chairs i created a script and uh, i created all the things that need to happen in this video storyboarding and i'd never really done it before i'd never worked at that level of kind of granularity of 
these videos, I'm going to get the budget. I'm going to get them made myself. And I did it. And I didn't tell marketing. And we shared them. It was a global business. We shared them around the world. And I'll never forget the conversation I had with the head of marketing. I went, WTF is that where that is, that's not on brand. And I'm like, I don't care if it's on brand. I don't care. I said, because that stuff is a hundred times more powerful than the stuff that you've created in the last 10 years. So, uh-huh. and it was, and it was, but eventually they, they accepted it, but it was a shift and it was, I'm not saying marketing people are bad. Like I'm saying they've got a different project or different perspective that they're trying to work to. Like I've got a different pr- perspective that I was working to at that stage, but that there is content design at its core. It was like, it was not words. It was not an interactive element. It was a video and it was super powerful. There were like two minute videos on how to do these things. There is a huge problem in organizations where marketing is over here and they've been doing it for 20 years in this way and that's the way they want to keep it. And then you've got digital Mm. problems over here. And whilst they speak and they kind of collaborate, and I'm using the funny bunny is like collaborate, it's because it's not actually. You just end up with this compromise that nobody Mm. likes. So when we do it, we bump into service design all the time because we'll do the journey maps This is where your content is. This is where your perception is. This is where belief is. This is where the language is. And normally you have to step back far further back than you would do ordinarily. You know, you've got to get out of the journey of the service or or product or whatever that you're working on and go backwards. Because if you don't, you don't understand the language that they're using or the perception or the belief, and it will absolutely skew their journey while they're with you. So having like videos that speak to what's useful rather than what's marketing can support the marketing. And I think that mm. bit that's missing, particularly with a lot of organizations, is that <clears throat> both bits are necessary. You need marketing, of course you do. Who otherwise nobody Absolutely. Does. Absolutely. But you can have both and you can have them work really well together, but you can't do that unless you start working together from minute one, not minute fifty-nine, and you've mm. got a minute to go. Because that just you end up with jarring arguments. But typically, if, if you start that way, like you're talking about there, you're going to have the difficult conversations up front. Oh, you're yeah. Gonna have like, no, we, we don't do that. We do it this way. Yeah. And like, no, well, I want you to do it this way. Why? Yeah. So what, what, what do you say to marketing people in that instance? They're like, no, this is the way we've always done it. See, we run it in a different <clears> way. So if we're doing like content strategy sessions or we're starting to work with a client, we will run a user journey. So we'll have a task or something at the end of, whatever it is and then we will track it back and we'll have all the stats and metrics and analytics that we can get hold of yeah we will run what they think the journey is Mm. then we'll run what the actual journey is because normally there's a gulf and then we show them all the language research and the empathy mapping and all of that and then we say right where should we do things so we have a kind of rule here at content design london you kind of you don't say no because you'd never need to what it is is right how are we going to do this and it's we also, mm. like, they're not allowed to say, like, how are we doing this? Yeah. And also you need to work out where your fights are because you can't have yeah. every fight all the time. You're just going to break all those relationships. It's very lovely to walk into an organisation and bulldoze your way through. I've done it more than once and it's great. Yeah. But you end up with so much human debris behind you that for longevity, it's not worth it. So yeah. you, the way that we do mapping, so we'll have all the decision points then we'll have the language, then we'll have all the emotion, empathy, sentiment scoring, all the rest of it underneath it. And then, and it's only then, do we get to channel mapping. And then when we've got to channel mapping, then it's formats. So you're not thinking, 
I want some marketing, I want some tweets, I want some posters or whatever, until you've got like five layers of post-it notes on the wall, then you get to what the format is and who is doing what. And by then you've kind of, you bought them with you on the journey and they understand why you're saying the things that you say and they bring their expertise as well. It's like the glue between design and marketing where you're acting as the conduit. You're like the therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what half of it is? Everybody's around. I know. I've played that role many times in businesses. You're trying to get people to work together in the backstage to create things that are valuable for people who are going to use it above that interaction line. Yeah, because we also do value mapping at that point. Are we saying the same thing in terms of value networking and value mapping? Walk me through it. That's an extension of a stakeholder map. Kind no, it's more so we track. So we'll do the user journey and then we'll step back and work out how much it's going to cost the organization to produce it, right? Ah, okay. Financial plus what the teams are not doing because they're doing all this crap. So normally we also run like workflow and governance models in it. It's kind of okay. like, who's going to sign off what here and how long does this take? So these things can take like two days, these sessions. Yeah. And we'll work it out, and, and and it's normally costing huge amounts of money because the world and his wife has to sign stuff off. And then it's all the things that the teams are not doing. That's the interesting bit for me, particularly like comms and marketing teams. They're mm. the ones that normally, like for the peer, people who do the press releases, all they want is good relationships with journalists, but they can't do it because they're pumping out crap that nobody ever looks at. Yeah. And so we say to them, right, we get rid of this and you go do that, how does that affect the journey? How does that affect the product? What do we do? And so everybody is feeding in not only what use it is outside, but what use it is inside. Then we do success and value criteria and they sit on the end of it. So you end up with the whole thing and kind of like, what are we getting out of it? What are we giving our audience? What are we giving our teams? And what are we giving the organization? And when you put things out like that and you have the whole kind of view then you start getting people working together. Not always. There's always going to be somebody who's a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's going to happen. But mostly people have light bulb moments. Yeah. It's like that backstage, that processes that that tends to often get ignored just because people are being busy, being busy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're doing an awful lot of the standard operating procedure kind of processes that, that have been there for about 15, 20 years. And you're working at that level of granularity. So again, it goes back to a service design, like the ability of going up and down and zooming in and zooming out. You're zooming in further than traditionally most service designers will zoom in on. You're actually focusing on the actual sign off and this, do this kind of thing, pass it to them and sign off, which is really, really good. It can take a long time, but it is really useful to show an organization, particularly managers who don't know. So we get people in the Mm -hmm. room that have no accountability on anything else. And that's fine. But they have accountability for how it works in the organization and what is happening outside. When you hmm. show them that, then they suddenly understand where they are and how they're probably a teeny little cog, actually. Yeah. And yeah. how much it's costing in general. And you do generally, not always, but generally get a kind of tribal feel out of that. Yeah. So it, it does take a long time. But to see it out, like in the sessions that we run, there will always be a bit where we get the board in or we get the higher ups in if they haven't been involved already and we sit them down and we take them through it and then we shut up. We completely silent and just go, how do you feel about that? And there are penny drop moments all over the place because Mm. 
you're you're so busy doing your work as you say like and you're down tail of it you have no idea about the upper bit because it's not it's not your skill set you're not responsible for all that you shouldn't be responsible for all that you can't be a jack of all trades yeah but to just see it outwards is is well it's one of the best parts of the of the workshop it it sounds good i remember doing a workshop something similar in in australia for a business and i had my inklings that there was large inefficiencies because people were taking you know large lunch breaks and you know the people were not doing very much they were standing around the water cooler and i said look the ceo said look i I don't know what people are doing and i don't know what this looks like in terms of interaction with the customer let me just let me do a couple of workshops so we did a couple of workshops became really clear that the marketing team in particular who was pretty big they keep on going back to the marketing team i'm sorry but they were basically just sending out newsletters like spamming kind of like salesforce kind of conversations so as we were going through the you know the customer journey we were like so the customer doesn't get supported after they they do this this main interaction of signing up what happens they had they were, they were completely skills missing um from the function of, of delivering a good experience and it was at that point that it was actually the same project that I mentioned before. The really positive content design person started to enter into the into the process. He was like, "Well, actually, he helped me understand the comprehension of of words, and it started the conversation off about actually maybe we need to start thinking about the customer and what the full journey, as opposed to just sending them out a newsletter." Yeah, and so many people got that kind of push more, push more. Yeah, very common in startups. You know, obviously they're they're in growth mode. They need to keep the lights on and sell and grow and spam typically <laughs> but, um, they do that they do do that they don't need to <laughs> yeah i know I, I, was, I was telling somebody recently the story when i was at myspace i i was given the task of being in charge of newsletters i was like i thought it was really cool i was like yeah, i get to send the newsletters i sign off jerry at myspace i was sending like four five six million emails on a friday afternoon it was a crazy sensation it was just like this rush of like and everyone knows now that i've got an apostrophe and a comma tendency <laughs> can you imagine what those newsletters were like you know i remember jason derulo was always number one in myspace and i remember i spelled his name wrong one week i was like it was completely it was it was awful but that, that's all all we were doing really was just, we were trying to push them to go and do an interaction but no one was really thinking about the the other stuff that came beyond that yeah you know what mailchimp have publish the kind of industry standards oh yeah newsletters and things and for ours it's it's around like 20 26 percent our open rate is between 50 and 80 percent yeah ways because we don't have very many and the stuff that we have always has something for somebody else and i think everybody thinks well we must be regular and we must be this and we must be that and but then the number one thing on their list is never we must be utterly relevant mm. They have too many formulas attached to it. It's like, but why? And, you know, relevance has got to be number one. Now, that's a really good point. And it is content design at the end of the day. But with podcasting in particular, cadence is critical. Okay, so when you're when you're releasing podcasts, I've got a kind of a personal formula of every four to six days is this content being released. Yeah. But with newsletters, I used to be like every week, every two weeks, I was like fretting. I remember on Wednesday nights, I'd be like, what am I going to write tomorrow? Yeah, I've got nothing to say. And after a while, after about a year of this is Haiti, I said, you know, what? I'm not sending out newsletters. I only send the newsletter out when there's something that I need to say. 
and speak when you're spoken to. But look at that. That's perfect, right? Because podcasts... We get 50%. We get 50% open rate. Yeah, yeah. But, but podcasts are a different bag. They're yeah. a different format for a, possibly a different audience. Could be the same audience, but it's mm. a different experience. It's a listening experience, and you have to have it on in the car if you if you go anywhere, or the train if you're possibly traveling. Or you know, you're doing it while you're cooking, or you sit there and you do it because that's the thing that you want to concentrate on and you're writing notes, but it's a different thing. And yeah. so you should have a different approach to it. Different. It's the same ecosystem, but I've got mm-hmm. different rules. Yeah. And from the whole kind of ecosystem and certain, uh, this is HCD in particular, um, I'm very cautious and I'm very protective of, of the newsletter. I'm like, I'll only send something if there's something that I really want to talk about or promote. Yeah. And some people give out to me because it does say like, you know, minimum of every two or was it a maximum of every two weeks that we send out everything but in some it's, i probably haven't sent out a newsletter for two months and i don't mind people signing up but i think there's there's nothing worse than people abusing it and it, it is it's a very sacred thing that email address and i just refuse to use it just to promote a listener it's also great from a service design perspective looking at how content can support it or break it mm. because if you annoy people they yeah. away. And then the rest of your service, it doesn't matter how good it is, none care. You've lost them. Yeah. Probably because you've over you yeah. know, over sent stuff. So it does have it content and service is absolutely mixed into one. But unfortunately a lot of organizations see it as a separate thing. And it's actually funny because we did at one point have so much frequency and cadence on the podcast where it went too much. And the sweet spot was was five to six days. And it's okay if it goes to 10 days, but if it goes to every two days, too much. Yeah. People were like, oh, you know, like this is good, but not that good. Okay. It's not Joe Rogan good. Okay. It's not where Joe Rogan records for an hour or two every day and he gets millions of views. I'd like to think that we could get to that point, but unlikely. (laughs) It's unlikely. Never know. So we've actually, we've got a course, we're working on material as we speak. And this conversation is it's probably prep work in some ways for, for the course, because we're always learning between yeah. the gaps in, in our skill sets. And l- looking at, at the course, I, I think there's, there's, there's value for many people, but I, I think there's, there's a sweet spot there for people who are in UI design, product design, and people who are working to understand how this could actually work to improve the services that they're currently working on. Is that fair to say? You think it sounds like we're we're getting close to a value proposition between the two of us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The thing I I think now many more people are working in multidisciplinary teams. Yeah, hopefully, they're, hopefully, fingers crossed. They're being exposed to having different people in, and I mm. think a lot of organisations do that quite badly because they just shove people together and go, "There you go, have a look at all that," and you're like, "What am I doing?" So this is. This course, I think, would be interesting for the disciplines to understand how everything knocks everything out or mm. gel together. And it can be different bits will be different relevance yeah. for organizations because some are already doing it and some. Yeah. Are, but understanding the whole ecosystem and how it all works together. We've got a super, there's, there's a good conversation to be had between service design, content design, and the value that it gives when it comes together. I've experienced it. Probably there's probably a couple of instances there when I think about it now, but for people doing that course together, you learn more around the ecosystem and understanding about 
the role of a service designer and actually how to do these things. But as I said, traditionally, service designers, they should go all the way down to where you're talking about. But from a discipline perspective, they just don't get the time because in these kind of projects, you know, it, it is very costly as well to get down into those those kind of the weeds below the weeds and looking at the soil and looking even below that, what the earth looks like. Uh, you're able to do that within content design. And we're both working in the same direction. We're both trying to deliver value for the for the person who's going to use these products and services. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to because I know I'm definitely, believe it or not, people don't say this enough. I'm going to learn from working with you and hopefully you might learn a little bit from working from with me. Well, um, <laughs> it's, funny, it's, it's funny. We're sitting there. And I was like, let's see your journey maps. And, you know, I was like, you know, let's see yours. And we, we, we're kind of like showing and telling. And this reminds me of a conversation actually with Adrian Tan, who's on the podcast, who's prod pod. There's also part of this is doing everyone. And I remember years ago, we did me and Adrian, probably 2015, we started hanging out together in Sydney. And I said, oh, look, I'm doing some blueprints in uh, for this client and doing some journey maps. Oh, yeah, we do that. I remember being really stunned. I remember looking at her going, what? You're a product manager. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we do journey maps. I'm like, <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think you do. I'm like, I've never seen a product manager do a journey map. But if I have, it's a process map. And we sat down. I remember going into Adrian's office and Adrian was really serious. Got the whiteboard out that day. She got the whiteboard and the good markers out. And she says, <laughs> okay. And we, we had a had a journey map off. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, and it was like a full on, like the world stopped. And it was like you see in Goodwill Hunting whenever he's on the blackboard, he was like figuring stuff out. And we were trying to outdo each other. At the very end of it, I went, you know what? If I took some of your parts, you took some of my parts. We'd have a pretty good map here. <laughs> and we, we looked at each other and went, we should talk about this. And yeah. that is where This Is HCD really started. This is That was the those conversations. And it sounds like we're having something similar here. Yeah, it, the, everybody does it differently, right? And there's no one yeah. way of doing it. And also, like, we'll go into organizations and do it differently again and again and again because it doesn't work for them. So, yeah, no, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's funny because I had a similar conversation um, with Mark. We did a workshop a couple of years ago. Mark Stickdorn is, is also part of this. Thing. And Mark was like, you, you take that bit over there about starting out to kicking off the journey map process. And I did it. I remember looking up at Mark at one point and he had this big confused face. And I told him, he says, are you all right? And he goes, I've never seen anyone do it that way before. And I go, well, this is the way I've been doing it. And this has worked really well for me in governments. He's like, hmm, interesting. And that's the beauty. It's, not, it's like we're teaching how to play football. No two games of football are the same. So it's a case of like, we teach you how to kick the ball and defend and score goals and do corners and all that kind of stuff. That's really what you'll learn. Whereas like, you know, to have the expectation that you're going to have the same game of football every single time, it's not, not accurate and it's not, not real. I think that the thing about this is doing is that we will be able to see everybody else's discipline and we will be able to see all the different ways of doing it and work out what we're going to do. Because often I think we get stuck in our bubbles. Yeah. So you see one way of doing it and you think, oh, that is the way of doing it. And yeah. I think this is also great because we're going to break out of that and show yeah. you different ways of doing it and and how and what effect it has and then you get to choose what's right for you so there yeah. is no one way i remember when i was working in a consultancy briefly i am um, i noticed that people were getting trained in design thinking and then some other people were getting designed in customer or trained in customer experience and getting trained in user experience all different all different trainers different companies 
mm-hmm. they come back with different nuances of the same thing. And you would imagine that it would, it would lead to greater conversations, but it actually led to friction. And when you bring these disciplines together and you start being trained in a uniform manner, it actually helps. We, we take that pain away from businesses by having a unified kind of approach to solving this stuff. And that's, that's kind of what we're, we're working on here with, with content design and service design. I think it's good. So we're coming towards the end of this episode. We've had a good old conversation. What's, what else are you working on at the moment? Sarah? I'm working on book two. What are you going to call it? <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. There's that. I'm not even going to bother thinking about this that. This is so. content design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and we've got a whole load of research projects coming up at the moment because I'm finding that a lot of organizations are not testing mm. with neurodiverse audiences mm. and it, it's killing them. It's killing their services. Yeah. I'm really, really pleased to see new WCAG guidelines come out and people taking it. This is a weird thing to say. I'm pleased that people are taking organizations to court when things are not accessible. Mm. It's controversial, but I'm going with it and I'm going to own it because I think if the law is the only reason that organizations make stuff accessible, I'll use it. So we're doing some research and things into that at the moment, which is quite exciting. So what are you doing? May I'm focusing on this is doing almost exclusively these days, doing some training and I've got some other courses that I'm working on at the moment, which is all good. I'm also just trying to stay healthy and stay alive for the rest of 2020, which is a good enough goal for me. It's It's been what I call one of the worst years of my life in terms of watching everything unfold around the world. But if people say to me, oh, I'm working on this and I'm working on that, I'm like, I'm just trying to stay alive. Yeah. The words of the Bee Gees. yeah exactly i'm really looking forward to how they're going to teach this in years to come i really want to take a look at 20 20 years out like what do you teaching about the one year because i bet it's part of the curriculum yeah well hopefully it's going to inform the future of education Mm -hmm. as well because i don't know what's going to happen but it's it's a crazy time to be alive Keep on saying that. I say to everyone, I'm sure the, the local shop hates me. I'm like, it's a crazy time to be alive, isn't it? And like, <laughs> but the same thing yesterday, Jerry. I'm like, it's just a crazy time. <laughs> Sarah, great chat with you. Likewise, thank you very much. So there you have it. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.